Chapter 37, Part 1 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Frederick Lederhaus. Translated by Hotlab Frederick Crotel. He dies. A cloud of the noblest champions and witnesses of God had already departed to that place where we rest after the battle and where the confessor receives the reward of grace. Melanchthon had long before this desired to lay aside his arms and to celebrate a Sabbath in which he might sing the new song to him that sitteth upon the throne his friends Luther, Kruger, Veit Dietrecht, Sturm, Bucer, Bugenhagen, and all the company of the saints made perfect. He had also expressed this longing towards the eternal home in many of his letters. The most ancient account, that of the university, says in regard to this, when he had now become worn out and weary of this life, he prepared himself for death for several years even as he wrote concerning himself, that he was tired of this life, and was therefore directing his thoughts to another world, and towards his beloved Lord Jesus Christ, that he had done as much as he could in this life, and would leave the rest with God. He comforted himself with the reflection that he had always meant well, and his conscience did not accuse him on this account, and with this clear conscience he trusted to go into the presence of his Lord Jesus with God's help, no matter what an ungrateful world might say about it. Whenever his opponents attacked him at this time, he would say, Let them write until they are satisfied, and do whatever they please. I shall not trouble them much longer, but I, with God's help, will continue to teach diligently, and present a simple exposition of truth to the young, as long as I live, will pray God to grant me a joyful departure. To this mental weariness, bodily infirmities were added. He began to experience great difficulty in writing letters, which he had done with much ease formerly, and his eyes, too, grew weaker. On the 30th of March, 1560, he departed for Leipzig, in order to examine the stipendaries of the elector. After he had finished his labours, he left Leipzig on the 4th of April. His journey affected him very unfavourably, for the air was inclement and cold, and they were riding against a cutting north wind. He said, even while in the carriage, that he had not felt the coldness so much during the whole winter as he did now. He was able to sleep very little during the night from the 7th to the 8th of April. Towards morning he was affected with fever, accompanied by a cough and shortness of breath, and his eyes appeared so sunken that his friends were terrified. But notwithstanding all this, he roused himself from his couch to attend to his duties, but found himself so much exhausted by his efforts that he was repeatedly obliged to totter to his couch to refresh himself. During this day he yet wrote a short letter to Mola and apologised for its brevity on account of the severe pain he was suffering. His son-in-law, Dr. Pusa, 
thought that the affliction of the stone, with which his father-in-law had suffered severely before, was again making its appearance, and had a bath and warm poultices prepared for him. After wishing him good night, the invalid said, If it is the will of God that I shall die, I am heartily willing to die, and I only pray God to grant me a joyful dismissal. He felt that death was approaching, and as he was fond of reading and interpreting the stars, he observed intimations of his death in the planets. He rose shortly before eight o'clock, in order to deliver his usual lecture. His friends Esrom, Rodiga and Strum, in vain, endeavoured to dissuade him from doing so. He said, I will lecture for an half hour and then use a bath. But when he was about to set his foot upon a little stool which he used when he washed his hands, he became so weak that he was not able to lift up the other foot, so that he almost fell back. Upon this, he said, I shall go out like a lamp. He went to the lecture room accompanied by his two friends, but it was not yet eight o'clock, and but few students were present. He then remarked, What is the use of our being here? On the way back to his house, he said to his companions, If I could reach Konigsberg, I might become better. When he reached the house, he felt somewhat better, and his friends did not venture to give notice that the lecture would be omitted. Eswam departed in order to seal the letter in which he had communicated Melanchthon's illness to Camerarius. At nine o'clock he again went out to deliver his lecture. It only lasted a quarter of an hour. He spoke of the ransom of Christ which he offered as mediator, not silver and gold, but his precious blood, by which he fulfilled the law and satisfied justice. He spoke of his usual animation. Upon his return home he took a bath. He took but very little food, and then slept soundly for three hours. At supper he spoke distinctly but feebly. On the following night the fever returned, and Pusa found that he had been mistaken as to his disease. On the ninth and 10th of April, Melanchthon was lively and cheerful, and at a meeting of the faculty spoke very earnestly against the parties among the students. In the afternoon he corrected several funeral orations in honour of Duke Philip of Pomerania, who died on the 24th of February, and said, I am now only engaged upon funeral matters. This worthy prince of Pomeraria was also named Philip. Perhaps I shall be the next Philip from the common herd who shall follow this pious prince. On the same day he delivered a very animated lecture upon Christ's prayer, John 17, and also made preparations to read a meditation suitable to the festival of Good Friday in the morning at six o'clock, April 12th. It was based upon the 53rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah. In this he remarks, Our diligence and valour is also needed. He had indeed spent a bad night, but this did not deter him. When he was told that in the evening they had seen clouds resembling bound rods, he spoke very earnestly of the judgments of God. The people, he said, are becoming secure and care for no warnings. And whenever this is the case, punishment is not far off. May God Almighty be gracious unto us, whom we heartily pray to remember mercy in the midst of his wrath. 
The following night he enjoyed good rest and slept very quietly. He awoke whilst he was singing an old hymn, which when a boy he had frequently sung in church. With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He wrote an Easter meditation on the great Sabbath, the day before Easter, and carried it to the printing office himself. He then went to church, confessed his sins, received absolution, and together with others in true faith received the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving and fervent prayer. In the afternoon at two o'clock he went to look after his manuscript in the printing office. This was his last walk in the street. At four o'clock in the afternoon his dear friend Camerarius of Leipzig, who had been informed of his friend's precarious condition, through Pusa entered the house, and found his friend Melanchthon upon the lower step of the stairway that led to his study, resting his head upon his hand. He arose and welcomed him, and they continued to converse for some time. At five o'clock he expressed a wish to go to bed, for a severe chill had come upon him. He did not eat anything. He could not sleep during the night after Easter. The heat of the fever was rapidly consuming his strength. But notwithstanding all this, he could not be persuaded to omit his customary annual Easter meditation. He had already put on his coat to go out. But the good man was so feeble that he was barely able to stand. Someone had informed the students that the master would not lecture upon which they all departed. When his son Philip came in to inform his father that there were no auditors there, his father replied in a tone of displeasure, So you have told them to go away. When his son apologised, he said in a milder tone, To whom shall I lecture if there is no one present? He then took off his coat. He proceeded to write several letters, while Camerarius remained with him, and the rest went to church. The excellent and pious Prince Jochamon of Anhalt, who had heard of his illness, sent him a moorhen and several partridges. He partook of some of these, and also of some Hungarian plums. He also drank some Rhenish wine, and remarked that he liked it. He also conversed very pleasantly with his friends. When he arose from the table, he went up into his room, and rested for a while upon his couch. He had also commenced writing a letter to Prussia, which he now continued without, however, finishing it. He was not able to write any more. He rested and thought of his deceased friend, Dr. Pommer. He said, Dr. Pommer, that good and now sainted man died of nothing but old age, and continued, No one ought to wish to live so long that his age and feebleness would render him altogether useless to man. On one of the following days he prayed to God in a very fervent manner, in the hearing of many persons, that he would graciously remove him from this life, if he were not to serve the church and Christian youth any longer. And God heard this prayer, which he repeated several times. During the night he slept tolerably well. When he arose, therefore, he continued to write. However, his friends persuaded him not to lecture on this day, Easter Monday, before going to table, he said, If it is God's will, I am willing to die. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. He then spoke of the original Greek word in the New Testament, which does not properly signify to depart, but to journey or prepare for a journey.
he also recollected a remark made by the worthy and pious Dr. Milchias. It might be that a person would be very anxious to leave this life, but at the same time, no man could earnestly think of death without shuddering. Melanchthon coincided with this and said, The great misery and troubles of life are not able to give a man joy in the hour of death. Something more is needful before a man can feel this. He retired to his bed and rested for about three hours. When he had risen at one time, and Camerarius and Pusa were again placing him upon his couch, he began to sink under their hands, but they restored him by rubbing him. He spent a very restless night. His cough was quite troublesome, and he slept little. This was the fifth attack of the fever. He remarked that at Weimar, Dr. Sturz had applied a cardiac of corals, which relieved him, and that he had thought of the word of the prophet in his sleep. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. He requested them to apply corals in this present instance, and they did so. In the morning of the 16th of April at four o'clock, he was heard praying very earnestly. After his prayer, he completed the letter to Prussia. On this day, Camerarius wished to go home, intending to return at a more convenient time. All entertained hopes that the fever would leave him after the seventh attack. As Melanchthon had not eaten anything the day before, a meal was prepared earlier than usual in order that he and his friend might eat together. Before going down, they sat on a bench surrounded by some other friends, and now Melanchthon quite unexpectedly said to Camerarius, as if giving him his blessing, My dear Dr. Jokakim, we have been joined in the bonds of friendship about forty years, and we have loved each other with a sincere and disinterested affection. We have been teachers of youth and faithful colleagues, each in his proper place and I hope to God that our labours have not been useless, but have done much good. If it is God's will that I must die, we will perpetrate our unalterable friendship in the world to come. They then both sat down to table. Melanchthon then turned to Camerarius' son-in-law, Esrom, whose wife had died a year and a half before, and said, I today dreamed of your wife as if I had seen her die. He said of this pious and virtuous woman, that he heard her remark, I know that God will not forsake me. I can never forget that word, he said. When something was said of the hurtful doctrine of doubt, he said to Esrom, Your sainted wife did not speak so. He also referred again to the hymn which he sung in his sleep three days ago, and said that it sounded so sweetly. He ate and drank very little, and grew weaker and weaker. He expressed a wish to retire to his room and try to go to sleep. Camerarius felt very anxious in regard to him and determined not to depart that day. The sick man fell asleep, lying upon his back with his eyes half open. He was the very picture of a corpse. His friends were filled with fear and tears filled their eyes as they gazed upon him. The servants wept and cried aloud as if their master were already dead but he had not come to this yet, and when he turned upon his side in his sleep, his countenance assumed a more natural appearance, and he slept soundly. He awoke after three hours, and said that he had slept exceedingly well. 
cheerfulness and animation seemed to return. During this day, a Danish theologian, on his way to his own country, entered his room. Melanchthon was very much pleased with the visit of this gentleman, and gave them several books which had been printed at Wittenberg, in order that he might present them to the King of Denmark. The invalid requested him to apologise for him to the King, because he had not written, that he was prevented by illness. However, God willing, he hoped to write soon, and faithfully and humbly to thank his majesty for all his gracious favours. He also prayed that the king and his entire kingdom might continue to enjoy happiness and prosperity. He was so refreshed by his sleep that he wrote letters, walked through his room and his house, and was more cheerful and animated than during the whole time of his illness. All began to entertain a hope of his recovery. At the supper table he was very cheerful, when the conversation turned upon these men who had brought discord into the church and still continued to foment it, he was greatly moved. With unusual passion remarked, they are knaves and will remain knaves, and God will yet make it manifest that they are knaves. He remained at table till about eight o'clock. It was the last meal he ever received in the lower part of his house. His sleep was refreshing. In his sleep, his spirit was impressed with the words of the Apostle Paul, If God be for us, who can be against us? End of chapter 37, part 1